the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. Discussions of the faiths of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam tend to focus more on conflict than connection. That's often based more on biases than actual experience. As the major holidays of each faith, Easter, Passover, and Ramadan overlap this year, some faith leaders believe that also raises the possibility of connection instead of conflict. That's the focus of this edition of Challenge 2.0. So in this post-COVID era, we're delighted to have three familiar guests in studio, which has not happened in too long of a time. We have Imam Jamal Rahman. Thank you very much for joining us. We have Reverend Terry Kylo from Past Understanding. And we have Rabbi Johanna Kinberg. And you are with Congregation Kola Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. For the second consecutive year, we've had a convergence of the three major holidays of each of your faiths come in. And I'm wondering if as we begin this program, you could each share what the significance of those holidays are. Terry, for you, Easter and Lent, of course, preceding that, Passover and Ramadan for you, Jamal. So whoever would like to begin first, tell us a little bit about the significance. Yeah. Since Judaism <laughs> yes. is the oldest faith. <laughs> yes, we've been... We've been celebrating Passover for a very, very long time. And the way we know that Passover or Pesach in Hebrew is coming is because we look up at the sky and when it's the full moon of the month of Nisan, which is the spring month or the full moon at this season, um, we know that that's time to gather for the first Seder, for the first big meal. And so I know that um, I'm looking at the same moon that my ancestors looked at over 2,000, well over 2,000 years mm -hmm. ago. And while so much has changed in our world, um, that's the same. And there's something really, really powerful um, for our people about that because um, what also is the same is the, um, the journey towards liberation and freedom mm -hmm. for people in this world and to move from, from tyranny to empowerment of the majority of people. And so that's the story that we tell when we sit down at that, that night. And so I also feel connected, deeply connected to that story that is also so ancient, but also completely relevant today. And as we've moved to become uh, more dispersed in terms of just families, generations, that sense of connection uh, within a family that's all alive at the same time, but also past generations has to be very, very powerful. It is, it is. And we also have two, often two seders, so two opportunities for these big, um, I mean, they're basically progressive storytelling meals where mm -hmm. we eat and we talk about the story and we taste bitterness and we taste tears and we sing songs and it's with a whole family together designed to be a multi-generational event. In America, the second night is often a community seder mm -hmm. where there'll be, you know, dozens or hundreds of people coming together. And so, yeah, the, it's really just a time of, of ingathering under the full moon. And Terry, the uh, Lenten Easter tradition? 
Well, so I think that Lent and Easter are really in transition right now in the Christian community. Because I think for a long time, we, we sort of guessed at what Jesus was up to and, and are now rediscovering how much what Jesus was up to during his life and during that, that, that week is connected to that story of liberation that, that Johanna is talking about. Because the Roman Empire essentially um, used crucifixion and other forms of terror to scare people into not loving their neighbors. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so uh, during the season of Easter, we're kind of recognizing that Jesus was living out that Passover story in a way by, by going to the, to the core symbol and expression of that state-sponsored terrorism and experiencing it and then rising from the dead in a way to uh, de-emphasize it and give it less power and give the power back to people uh, to love one another and even to love those that were their enemies in that moment. And so I think there's a great transition within Christianity to kind of reconnect Jesus' story to, to his own story uh, that he experienced uh, in first century uh, Israel. And Jamal, if you could uh, give us a greater perspective of Ramadan then. Yes, certainly. And you know, to continue the story, I have to talk about the story of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in a very phenomenal spiritual experience that he um, participated in. Uh, we know that it was in the month of Ramadan. That's the ninth month of the Islamic lunar calendar. Uh, we know it was the year 610 CE. And he was uh, in the cave in Mecca, meditating, when suddenly he encountered this huge light approaching him. It was luminous and blinding, and the light had a voice. It said, I'm Angel Gabriel. And it said, Ikra, meaning recite. And uh, Prophet Muhammad got very scared. Uh, it's, it's a longer story, but the gist of it is the first verses of the Holy Quran were transmitted to the Prophet. At that time he was Muhammad, he became a Prophet. Uh, Muslims believe from God through Angel Gabriel uh, to the Prophet. Mm -hmm. And this uh, situation where the Prophet sometimes in answer to a question or would happen, you know, anytime unawares, he would go into a trance and these words would come out of his mouth. And this happened for 23 years. And the collection of that is the Quran. And the miracle of the Quran, of Islam I should say, just like in Christianity the miracle is that Jesus, peace be upon him, is a son of God. <laughs> the miracle of Islam is, whether you like the Quran or not, everybody agrees, every scholar of Arabic, that the language of the Quran is unsurpassed by any other body of literature mm -hmm. in its uh, rhythm, in its cadence, in its linguistic uh, uh, beauty. So that's the miracle of Islam, the Quran. Mm -hmm. So what Muslims, they say, is let's express gratitude for the gift of the Quran by entering a period of self-purification and service mm -hmm. in the month of Ramadan. So this entire month from pre-sunrise to sunset, Muslims will fast and uh, abstain from food, from drink, and intimate sexual relationships, and be of service to God's creation. Mm -hmm. And this is to really express thankfulness. So uh, Ramadan has two meanings, the ninth month of the Islamic lunar calendar mm -hmm. and the sacred uh, practice of fasting to purify the body, the mind and the heart, so one can be, as the Quran says, of authentic service to God's creation. 
We've heard each of you talk about the community and the personal as part of that community. What I'd like you to do is just go back to childhood. What are your earliest memories that have stayed with you uh, that just bring out a warm feeling about each of those? And Johanna, I might ask you first, what, are, what is an early memory that you have of Passover then or Pesach? Well, um, we, from the new moon, the full moon before Passover, which is the holiday of Purim until Passover, um, in our family, we slowly and progressively cleaned each room of the house very thoroughly. Because one of the mitzvot, one of the commandments of Passover is that you shouldn't have any um, bread, any leaven in your house. Mm. And so it's taken very literally, but it's also an opportunity for a super deep clean after the winter to really like clean out every single room. So it's taking books off the shelf, shaking them. And then that, at that night uh, before Passover, you um, there's a ritual of hiding bread all over the house wrapped in like foil or saran so it doesn't mess anything up. And you take a feather and a candle and turn off all the lights and the children go and they look for the bread. And then you like sweep it up. And then the next morning, um, you have a big bonfire where you burn it all <laughs> in the backyard. <laughs> and so we would put it all in the, um, the barbecue, burn it, and then we would go get donuts because we, but because there was no food in the house to eat, um, but we couldn't eat them anywhere, so we had to stand outside and eat donuts. <laughs> um, so the preparation and the cleansing, which is very much a part of the, the holiday, is getting ready for the holiday, mm -hmm. which is just extremely extensive. Um, and also it, it, the, the core spiritual meaning behind it that was always taught is it's about letting go of that which puffs you up, that the bread is also symbolic of like Pharaoh and Pharaoh's heart and mm -hmm. tyranny of, of ego. And so this is also sort of like an ego cleanse and a house cleanse. Terry? Good Friday you know, would come and we would, we would hear a sermon and, and engage with the, the whole idea of our mortality as human mm -hmm. beings, right? And, and I remember, you know, those days like being very solemn and somber. But then, you know, Easter morning would come. And as a little kid, of course, uh, you know, love candy and uh, didn't always get too much of that. And so there'd be some Easter eggs, you know, outside and go out and kind of do that and go to church and everyone would be dressed up for one another. And having kind of gone through a, a period of, 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 as a community, recognizing our mortality on Good Friday to come together and recognize that God is ultimately the God of life, mm -hmm. right? And everyone dressed up and then get together with uh, our extended family and have a meal afterward and, and um, you know, sometimes discuss the sermon a little bit, although not too often, but just this, this sense of, of going through the, the cycle of life together mm -hmm. and having this, this, this beautiful day of, of happiness and joy and recognizing that that is part of the gift of the Creator to all of us. You know, there's some wonderful practices I enjoyed so much, and particularly uh, the elders would give some wise insight. For example, something called iftar, the breaking of the fast. After this long, all day of fasting, you know, just gobbling up the food, but particularly uh, that sense of community. So much of love, so much of hospitality, uh, so much of greeting, sharing stories. And the insight I remember, uh, of course, is Rumi. Uh, please come out of the circle of time and enter the circle of love. So I had a great love for community over food, over beverages. The second thing I remember is uh, prayers. Everybody praying together and praying 
for long periods, praying with a lot of intensity. And I remember they would say two kinds of prayers. One is praising God. And Jamal, remember, when you praise God, God doesn't become holy, you become holy. <laughs> and when you express gratitude to God, you're joining a cosmic chorus because every creature in the heavens and the earth is praising God. You're joining this wonderful cosmic chorus. I remember that so clearly, the connection to prayer. And the last one I would say is, as children, we're encouraged to give, to be of service, give to the poor. Mm -hmm. And we're told constantly, you know, and the Quran says, Jamal, when you give, you're purifying your money and you will feel joy. And that wise insight has stayed with me. What similarities rather than differences do you see that uh, you find particularly appealing between your different traditions? Terry? Well, first off, I've learned from my Jewish and Muslim neighbors so much about the power of the idea of one creator, mm -hmm. um, that the, there's a diversity in the life and in the culture, in life on this planet. There's diversity in cultures, uh, diversity among people. And yet there is one creator that, that made all of us, that, that, um, that is the ground of being for everyone. And thus uh, the invitation to recognize the humanity of other people, no matter what their culture or tradition, um, no matter what they may look like or what their abilities are. And I think fundamentally that is the, the root of, of all three traditions. And, and the idea of one parent, one single set of parents, uh, so we're all family. And, and the idea that we fall, all fall short of love in various ways. We fall short of recognizing each other as humans and yet uh, the Creator continues to call us back to our true identity because to be human is to recognize not only how we're different, but to recognize how valuable and honorable and beloved all of us are. Johanna, perspectives you'd like to share. Um, in Judaism, we talk about seeing the world through two different lenses. There's our Jewish lens and our, and our secular lens. And we also have a Jewish calendar that we live by and then a secular calendar. And one of the great gifts of being an American is that we actually layer those calendars because we have you know, the secular calendar, the Christian calendar, the Muslim calendar, the Jewish calendar, all layered so we really get to experience in, in its season, the holiness of um, our neighbors and friends in terms mm -hmm. of how they're celebrating. And Jews have had the opportunity to celebrate alongside and live alongside Christians and Muslims, but never so many um, different religions at once. And so there's just, there's a real gift of insight into celebration and joy in communities. Jamal? You know, for a Muslim, uh, they feel so happy that uh, no matter what the celebration is, there is a loving connection with these beloved prophets. Mm -hmm. So for example, Moses, peace be upon him, in the Quran is the most mentioned prophet in the Quran. Uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, uh, he's called Ruh Allah, the Spirit of God. So this connection to these beloved parents uh, is, is very beautiful. And also, I think all of these traditions, they point out to, you know, for many uh, spiritual Muslims, what is the purpose of life? And all of these uh, rituals, practices, celebrations, they say, you know, we are here on planet Earth to be more Christ-like, mm -hmm. uh, Elohim-like, Allah-like. Uh, that's one. And secondly, 
we are all here to be of service to God's creation. Mm -hmm. And I think we are reminded of our purpose in life through these wonderful rituals and practices. As we talk about the convergence of your different holy days, uh, are there examples of where communities that you've been a part of or even been aware of have gathered together to do some sort of joint celebration with people from other traditions, be it uh, Christianity, Islam, or Judaism? Well, last year we had a wonderful opportunity, and hopefully it'll happen again this year, to celebrate Mimuna, which is a, it's a national holiday in Israel, but its origins is with Moroccan Jews, which I am, um, a Moroccan Jew, which it was the, la the day after Passover. Um, they extended the holiday by a day, and all the Muslim neighbors would bring back all the flour and all the things that they, Jews weren't allowed to have in their house. Mm -hmm. They would give it to their neighbors. They'd bring it back. They'd open their doors and make these festival foods, which are very the same foods that the, the fast is broken with for Ramadan. So it was an, um, a Muslim and Jewish sharing um, holiday and so we also we had one at the interfaith sanctuary last year which was a celebration of easter uh, ramadan and um, mimuna the end of pesach and it was really it was really wonderful well, we thank you so much for uh, we thank you and your community because you d created, su created such a beautiful program at mimuna in interfaith mm -hmm. community sanctuary you know, of course, as you know, I've, I've worked um, with a rabbi and a pastor. We are known as the Interfaith Amigos ever since 9-11. So we've had a number of Interfaith Seders, uh, Interfaith Ramadan, Interfaith Easter, Interfaith uh, Christmas. But I want to make one important point here. Uh, there's a complaint uh, that, you know, when Jews, Christians, and Muslims get together only on certain holidays, mm -hmm. The behavior of people at, in those places, in those few times, is absurdly nice. <laughs> but once they go home, Muslims become terrorists, Jews become occupiers, uh, uh, Christians become liars, unless, and this has happened, unless those holidays create the opportunity for some people to continue the friendship, continue the connection. That is what is going to create interfaith harmony, uh, interfaith uh, understanding and, and a change in personal behavior, societal behavior, uh, governmental behavior, and it is happening. You know, after 9-11, besides these times that uh, people get together during holidays, people have established wonderful connections. Mm -hmm. And this has led to some policy changes, Jewish Voices for Peace, J Street Lobby, all as a result of people saying, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. I mean, tonight I'll be at, a, at an interfaith community iftar this eve, uh, about a week and a half ago um, in Anacortes, Washington. I, I went to a Persian New Year festival and got to, got to meet wonderful people there. And, uh, and then in a few weeks, I'll be down with the Sikh community in Federal Way uh, for their Visaki uh, f festival. And want to just encourage us to recognize that it's possible for us to hang out with each other, to attend one another's festivals, and to show support and honor for them in the midst, even even in smaller towns, mm -hmm. these right, things right. exist. And so just start showing up in places and you'll start to notice other people who are also showing up in places, and then you get kind of connected, and you can start to help help each other. You know, go to the um, go to the, uh, the the canoe journey mm -hmm. of of the indigenous communities in our area, and just go there and be supportive. 
because that's p showing up that way, you know, even with our, our clericals, our yes. clerical or our own tr traditional dress mm -hmm. is a wonderful way to show that we respect and honor the, the dignity and w wish to learn with and from. Um, our, our beautiful neighbors. I totally agree. If I may say this, you know, the 21st century understanding is that no matter what our differences in religion, mm -hmm. uh, besides commonalities also, it's important not only to acknowledge the different religions and diversity, it's important not only, not only to honor them, but critical to celebrate our differences mm -hmm. and to know that these differences, they, they contribute to the uh, ennobling enrichment of our cultures. You know, as I heard you talk about, and Jamal in particular, making this not just a holiday occurrence, but going beyond that, I think what we sometimes call the transfiguration of the parking lot, where people are smiling and shaking hands and hugging, you know, during the worship service, but go to the parking lot and it's a free-for-all. How would you suggest we extend it? It's true, I've seen that. Uh, probably been a part of it, uh, but how would you suggest we seek to extend this beyond the holidays and into everyday culture. Whoever would like to tackle that first, Jamal, perhaps you. You know, I, I would say that uh, let's create environments everywhere, uh, in our individual homes, mm -hmm. in our houses of worship, in offices, where we create the situation where people of different cultures, different religions, different races, they have the opportunity to get together again and again and again. And one way is, mm -hmm. uh, besides uh, really connecting on a human level over food and drink is to join together in service projects. Social justice issues, uh, earth care. Mm -hmm. There's so many wonderful projects. Let's all join hands because no matter what our differences are, we all believe we're here to serve God's creation. That would be a wonderful way. Johanna, any ideas on that? Yeah, I mean, I really like the idea of the service because you know, I live so much of my life in the span of Jewish civilization. So on a daily basis, I'm thinking about people and texts and ideas over you know three, four thousand years, mm -hmm. and um, always want to sort of think about what's what's unique about this time period in Jewish history and what are our opportunities. And one of our opportunities we have right here and now is that we live in this democracy, mm -hmm. and we have the opportunity to be part of. Um, an interfaith community, and I'd say an interfaith civilization, which America, mm -hmm. um, you know, God willing, will always remain this place where we can really join hands, like really join hands to build a better civilization. Like that, it's sort of, you know, it's like the inverse of the Tower of Babel, where somehow we've like <laughs> all learned how to get along and in, communicate in a way where we know we can build something much better. Not, not only are, are Americans lonely, um, we're also segregated mm -hmm. in our groups. And that is dangerous, and that plays into the hands of the white nationalists and those that would seek to divide us further and destroy even the democracy that we have. Mm -hmm. And so we've been working with some leaders in the Upper Skagit Tribe in Skagit County to call people together into a program called Let's Go Together, where people will come together three times a year to eat and share stories, we're not gonna probably talk about theology or politics too much, but just get to know each other as people. To, uh, to do a service project day, and then to show up in t-shirts and march in some kind of parade together, show up in a public space together. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna do this between people of different traditions and cultures and socioeconomic situations. 
And as I've been talking with, with leaders in Skagit County and people of different traditions, there's a deep hunger for this because this kind of community solidarity is right now the kind of political act, mm -hmm. kind of a, a show of faith in us that we can go together into our future, that we can go together into our community, that we can begin to have enough experience to tell positive stories about our Jewish neighbors or our Muslim neighbors. Or, and interestingly enough, we're gonna have the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They have signed on. The Roman Catholics have signed on. The Unitarians, the Muslims up in that community have signed on. The Upper Skagit you know, tribal elders have signed on. And so it, when people can begin to see each other like working for the common good and realizing how much we have in common right. and that we can honor each other, um, I, I think that's going to be really powerful. That's beautiful. Can I just say one more thing here? You know, uh, Gandhi, who we all know, mm -hmm. and who knew a lot about what it takes to create harmony in a multi-religious society, his first point was, I'll just mention that point, he, he would say, it is the sacred duty mm -hmm. of every individual to have an appreciative understanding of the other person's religion. Mm -hmm. So I would say for all houses of worship, it should be uh, mandatory in a very loving way that we create opportunities that we have an appreciative understanding of the other person's religion. So I, as a Muslim, living in a Christian country, it is my sacred duty to have an appreciative understanding of Christianity. Second largest uh, religion is Judaism, to, of Judaism, uh, of Hinduism, Buddhism. Unless we have that appreciative understanding, no matter how non-prejudiced I am, when troubles occur mm -hmm. because of religious conflicts, terrorism, I begin to judge the entire religion based on the behavior of just a few people. Single individual or a couple. Rabbi Johanna Kinberg, Pastor Terry Kylo, Imam Jamal Rahman, thank you so much for being a part of this. And it's a discussion that I don't know if the three major holy days or seasons converge again next year, but we should have this conversation again. There's so much to learn. Thank you very much. Thank and you. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Challenge 2.0. We hope you'll join us again next week. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.